Okay, if you've got a Bible with you, do open up to Acts 2. We're going to be reading from verse 42 through to 47. And this is the passage that we're preaching from for five weeks in a row. We're looking at what was the very first church in Jerusalem just after the Spirit is poured out at Pentecost and the life of God is just coming in power on these people. What is it they're devoted to? What does church life look like for them? And uh, then we're using that to kind of bounce out of there to different passages in the scripture to look at these things in which they are devoted to. So Acts 2, starting in verse 42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What an odd thing to be devoted to the breaking of bread. That sounds bizarre, doesn't it? What can be so important about a meal and its symbolism that these believers say that they are devoted to it? What a strong word to use. Well, we're going to walk through why this is a non-negotiable of anyone who follows Jesus. If you follow Jesus, if you know him and you love him, communion, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, is a non-negotiable. We'll see that each time we come to eat and drink at the table, we come to a table that is maybe much more than we often realise it is. It's a table of blessing, it's a table of unity, and it's a table of good news. But before we do, there's something else I'd like us to see. And that is that before we come to communion, before we even come to the table, we should prepare. Prepare our hearts, because coming to take communion is always a holy moment. There was a church planted in the early days of the church, and it was in Corinth, one of many churches planted. And at first it looked great, healthy, doing well. But it didn't take long before there was all kinds of things going on that were unhealthy. In fact, they were in a real mess when it came to communion. They were drinking far too much. There were some of them that were eating far too much. They were excluding people who were poor. The very opposite of what the gospel has come to do is come to break down divisions and barriers between us and God and with one another as we become family together. And the Apostle Paul, you might not be surprised to hear who helped plant the church in Corinth, had something to say about it. In fact, that wasn't only what they were doing. They were also mixing in pagan practices with communion. So there's a lot going on here. And Paul steps in and says, look, before you come to eat and drink, you must examine yourselves before God. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 28. And we too should ask, where's our heart before we come to communion? Have I committed sin before God? Have I, have I done something 
to uh, break my fellowship with God that, that is somehow keeping me from him and I've not asked for forgiveness. And God will always forgive, but we still need to go to him and say, oh Lord, would you forgive me? He wants us to come and say, will you forgive me? Do I need to ask other people for forgiveness? Is there bitterness in my heart? Is there someone that, something that someone's done that I'm unwilling to forgive? And if that's true, then we don't only need to sort out our relationship with God and say, oh Lord, forgive me. And by the way, he loves you and adores you and he will accept you immediately your forgiveness. He, he will grant you forgiveness immediately. He loves you. He loves you. You don't have to worry about coming to him. But even with one another, we need to go to each other and say, oh, I want to I ask you for forgiveness here. Or, or Actually, this thing you did, I, I find it really difficult. Can we talk about it? As Christians, we're different because we want to model the love Christ has shown us with the way that we love one another. I'm not sure I've ever come to communion and not felt a need for forgiveness from God for something. Before you eat the table of blessing and of union and of good news, ask for God's forgiveness and receive the grace that means you may come to the table. Not because you deserve to, but because Jesus has earned your right to be there because he went to the cross so you could be cleansed and enter into the presence of our holy, holy God. He died so that you could come to your father's house and get round the family table. Okay, who's got the power in the room? Who's got that remote control? Hit pause and we're just going to take a couple of minutes to pray on our own and just ask God for forgiveness for anything that we might have done, any sins that we might have committed. Examine our hearts before God. Okay, now let's look at what's going on when we come to the table and receive communion. The first thing that we receive is blessing. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he does something extremely controversial. He leads his disciples through the Passover meal and then he gets to a section where he says, do this in remembrance of... Now the disciples are probably thinking, he's going to say something like, do this in remembrance of God's mercy on our Israelite ancestors when they were freed from Egypt by smearing the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and the angel of death passed over their homes and then they escaped in to the out from Egypt and through the Red Sea, it parted, they went through to the other side. Oh, that's, he's going to talk about something around, around that. Surely that's what he's going to say, but no, he doesn't. He says, do this in remembrance of me. 
Now he could do that only because he was the fulfillment of the Passover. The Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. He was rescuing them, not from slavery to some mighty nation, but something even bigger, even bigger than the most mighty nation that they had been at that time. The slavery that keeps the world in every place and in every time. Shackled. Sin. So then Jesus took the bread and said, take and eat. And he took the wine and he said, drink from it. It's so easy to miss what's going on here. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of the Passover by freeing you from your sin. I'm the lamb who's come to take away the sin of the world. And as I come to do that, you don't bring anything to me. I give to you. That flips all religious tradition on its head. Religion's, religion is about this. Oh, I need to prove to the gods, I need to bring the gods my gifts. No, 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 not with Jesus. He blesses you. He gives to you. Receive from him. What Jesus actually gives in the bread and the wine is significant as well. Bread was about God's provision for life. It said we can trust God to provide for every need, especially our need to find satisfaction in God. When Jesus describes himself as the bread of life, he tells us that he will provide not just for our empty stomachs, but for our impoverished souls. When we smell the freshly baked bread and we eat at the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that Jesus has satisfied us. He has provided for our every need. That is what the bread is about. That is the blessing we see in the bread. Not only was it about Jesus' body being offered for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin, but that he was coming to satisfy us. And wine was about joy, peace, and celebration. That's what Jesus' first miracle was about. Jesus arrived in Cana for a wedding after a three-day journey with his disciples. And it culminated with a wedding feast. And there Jesus scandalously turns the purification water in these giant jars into fine wine. Although no one knew it yet, this was a significant sign. Jesus was declaring, I'm the king of heaven. And I've arrived to say that my kingdom has come. And in this kingdom you can receive the blessing of God, not because you have correctly performed all kinds of rituals and been cleansed with the waters of purification, but I come to offer you the finest of wine. 
the wine that brings more peace and joy than you can ever imagine, the blood of Jesus himself. Jesus would end his ministry with a three-day journey too. From the Passover feast to the cross and the empty tomb, there wine flowed on Thursday around the table at the first communion meal. On Friday, the finest of wine was poured out freely from his body on the cross. And on the third day, Jesus rose again to point us to his new kingdom and an ultimate marriage feast where wine and blessing will flow forever. When we taste and drink the wine, we are not only to be reminded that Jesus' blood was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins, praise God, but that by his blood we enter into the joy and peace of a new and lasting kingdom. Joy and peace are yours, Jesus says, when we come to the table. Come to the table and be blessed. Enjoy the eternal source of satisfaction and joy given by his body, a bread that does not leave you hungry, and his blood, the finest of wines, to fill you with joy, peace, and celebration. The word Eucharistio, which means thanksgiving, is an appropriate word to use, a great word to use when it comes to what we are doing at communion. We are giving thanks to Jesus for all that he has done, for blessing us. This is a table to receive God's blessing and give him the thanks that he deserves. And communion is also about unity. Jesus invites us to participate in him. As Paul describes it to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. To take communion is to, re- is to be reminded that you take on the inheritance and the status of God's son. It is to get round the family table of God as a brother or a sister of Christ and a son or a daughter of our father in heaven. But when we come to faith in Jesus, We are not only united to God, but we are also united to his church, to our new brothers and sisters, of course. There's one body of Christ and one bread to share. We are one people and our unity is on display when we together eat at the same meal, remembering our King. Now, we know that's true of all meals, right? It is partly why one in four of our grace communities are food nights. That's what we've done this last week because we really believe in getting round the table like Jesus would so often do with people because it is such a great leveller. And the gospel says we are one in him and so we get round the table and we invite people round the table, even people who don't know Jesus yet, and we say, come, come and be a part of this thing. Come and see that in Christ we can all be one. No matter our backgrounds, no matter where we're from, no matter how much we've got or how little we've got, no matter what side of the city we've grown up in, whatever our background, God unites us 
as one and the dinner table is a glorious place to be but we can't just leave it at lasagnas and chicken curries because the meal that really unites us is communion. That's why Paul was so outraged that the poor were being excluded in Corinth and we too should be outraged if communion is not acting as a moment of unity but acting as a moment of division in any way at Glasgow Race. It's a meal of unity. Come to the table of unity and come to the table of good news. We also want, when we come, to be saying something to the world, to one another and to the world. Jesus instructs us to do this in remembrance of me. This is a meal that proclaims what Jesus has done. By his sacrifice on the cross, he has exchanged his righteousness for our sin. And now we are forgiven and we're cleansed of all our sins. Oh, remember and declare the good news of the cross when you come to the table. You're telling people around you, I believe this. I believe in the blood and the, and the body of Jesus given for me, have saved me, cleansed me and made me a new creation. But our devotion to the breaking of bread is not only about remembering what Jesus has done. It is also that he will one day come again and take his bride the church and rejoice over her at the great wedding banquet of Revelation 19. Where he touched on it earlier, talking about the miracle that Jesus first did at the wedding in Cana. And here again, I just want to remind us that this points forward as well. So you come to the table and you're not only remembering what has gone, but you're looking forward to what will come. The festivities will be in full swing. We will be feasting shoulder to shoulder with all the saints and the angels looking on as they worship God. And while we are restored and glorified in our resurrected bodies, at communion we proclaim the good news of Christ that we will be with God forever, that we will be united to him as his bride, that that great wedding feast is coming, the great day will come when Jesus will return and take us home. And hey, this is also a great place to declare your love for Jesus for the first time. You might be hearing some of this and going, wow, actually, maybe I think this is true. I think that Jesus' blood and his body were given for me and that my sins were forgiven, that he took his righteousness and swapped them for my sin. And now through this resurrection hope, this new life, I can receive new life because Jesus has won it for me and made me a son or a daughter of God and I can be with him forever worshipping my Father in heaven. Maybe you've just grasped this and gone, yes, well, if that's you, come and take communion today. Come to the table. Devote yourselves to the breaking of bread. It's time to hit pause and pass out the bread and wine. 